And uh, while you're churning there, um, f- just remind you guys, we're in a series called DNA. And we're, in this series, we are uh, just asking the question, who are we as a church? And why in the world would we start a new church that we've been trying to do these last few years? And uh, we, we were trying to answer that question and going back to the basics of why we started this in the first place, which is ultimately the gospel, the good news of what God has done for us in Jesus. And last week we saw that one of the legs of our three-legged stool as a church is gospel-centered worship. And it's that gospel that fuels and enables and allows us to come to God and to freely worship Him for what He has done for us. And we saw that with the woman at the well. And uh, this week we're going to be talking about our second leg, actually this week and next week, our second leg of our mission, which is gospel-centered community. Um, but before I get going and start, before we read, I just kind of ask you a question. Do you feel the need to belong and to connect? C.S. Lewis um, actually published under the title in a book called The Weight of Glory, but it's really an essay or a letter to students um, called The Inner Ring, argues that every human being has this innate, deep-down desire to be in the inner ring, to be in that inner circle, or either trying to achieve that inner circle, or on the outside longing to be on the inner circle, or creating an inner circle that's on the outside of the circle, and we're a part of this circle because we don't want to be a part of that circle. And that people fight and claw and tear and scheme and lie and cheat and steal and do all kinds of things in order to either be in that inner circle or stay in that inner circle. And he says this is kind of a a normal a natural part of life. It's inevitable. But if we allow it to control us, it can become a really terrible thing. It could turn us into really terrible people. But deep down, he's right. Each and every one of us, we want to belong in some way. Um, and, and this is all over. If you, if you just type in a Google search uh, to fit in, to belong, or the need to belong or whatever, you'll see all these articles talking about it. For example, I found one in Psych- Psychology Today, we all want to fit in. And it's talking about how we, we, we listen to um, posts on the internet or we li- read articles of how to be a better parent, how to do this, do that. And, and it's like, it's not necessarily we need, we need to know how to be a better parent, all these things, but we want to do it the way other people are doing it because we want to fit in. And we want likes on our posts because we want to be on that inner circle. We want that close-knit inner place with other people. And in Huffington Post, another secular publication article, says five ways our need to fit in controls us. And it goes through and how that need to fit in. So everybody's aware of this need, and it's a really deep need that we have. But here's the thing. There's good news. The gospel is good news because of Jesus is coming to reconcile us to God and to reconcile all things to himself. We can now be in the true inner ring, the inner rings of all inner rings. As Steve Brown put it, referring to this inner ring in his deep, growly voice, I love how he talks, says, because of Jesus, you can be in the inner ring. God's the man. 
He's the man. And that's the inner ring of inner rings. And so, because of Jesus, we are a new community. We are um, uh, a new people. We are a new, somewhat, inner ring. And it's what we at Vintage Grace talk about is gospel-centered community. And here's the thing. When you go out and you, and you begin to, to study the idea of community and being a new people of God in the New Testament, there are so many passages, so many places that it is talked about. But here's the thing. I, and I'm going to refer to C.S. Lewis again. C.S. Lewis it was challenged on why he would write stories and fairy tales and narrative or fiction narrative and things of that sort. And he said that he made the comment, uh, some truths are better experienced than talked about. So we could talk about community. We, can, we could categorize it. We could theorize about it. But until you experience it, until you see it lived out, it's just theoretical. And the good, the cool thing is, in Paul's letters, there's one little letter that very often gets overlooked, and that little letter shows us community, gospel community lived out. And it's this little book of Philemon, a little letter, actually. You can't even call it a book. We don't even have chapters for it. It's just verses, because it's not long enough to make chapters out of. And so we're going to study the entire book this morning, which is actually fairly easy, as a matter of fact. And so, um, if you would, turn with me into Philemon. And I'm going to start in verse 1. Everybody with me? Okay. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia. Our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you. I thank my God, excuse me, always when I remember you in my prayers. Because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for Christ's sake, for the sake of Christ. For I have de- de- derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet, for love's sake, I p- prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. And I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this is perhaps why he was parted from you for a while, 
that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me. For I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And also do Mark and Aristarchus, Demas and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you in spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would use, um, that you would speak through your word as you do always. Um, And Lord, um, that this morning, because your word is infallible, that it would never be proven wrong, that it's it's inerrant, that it has no error, that we know when we come to your word, that it will indeed transform us. And so Lord, transform us this morning by your spirit. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. And so here in this letter, it's really a story playing out, a really a remarkable story, actually. What we see is this Onesimus has somehow departed, maybe by leave, we don't know, but he's gotten himself in trouble. He's departed the house of Philemon, who was his master, whether he had permission or maybe he took money, we don't know, but he's in some kind of trouble with Philemon, and he has been captured and put into prison. And of all places, in any of all the prisons throughout the Roman Empire, what prison does he end up in? Paul's little prison. And while they're in prison, uh, he comes to know Jesus. We know this because Paul says he's become a son to me, I father to him in this text. And so he, he's come, he's met Paul, and maybe he right away figures out, oh, you know Philemon, my master? Maybe you can help me out. Well, Paul might, might have said, well, we got some other stuff to talk about first. Let's talk about Jesus while we sit here in prison for a little while. And so uh, Onesimus comes to saving faith. And so Paul pins this letter to Philemon, who we later uh, put together in history, was likely to have been later on the leader of the Ephesus church. And so here's Philemon, and he's been the master of this slave, and, he's being, and Paul's writing to him, appealing to him to receive Onesimus back, not to torture him, not to you know, pay him back or whatever, but actually to receive him back. And that's this letter that we get played out. And in this letter to Philemon, we see that uh, we should now have a new story, a new family, and also a new obligation and a new privilege. And so what we see is the gospel being worked out and lived out in this scenario. And, then, and so the first thing we see 
is Paul calling Philemon to a new story, a new narrative. And so, then, in other words, to think differently about how the world works. In other words, instead of story, you might use the word worldview. Where you come from, where you are, where you are going. What is the story that is narrating your life? Is it the American dream story? Is it what, st- what story is it? And he's challenging Philemon, first of all, right off the bat, by the nature of his letter, to challenge those presuppositions and the story that has been writing and has been written for him. And so you see this request of Philemon to be returned with favor. And actually, that's not so strange. This actually happened in other times. That there were times in which maybe runaway slaves ran away and somebody would write to the master on their behalf. As a matter of fact, remarkably, we have found one of those ancient letters. Read, I mean, I'm, read with me. We're going to turn to an ancient source. There's a senator named Pliny the Younger. And he wrote a letter remarkably similar to this letter that Paul has written. So read with me, okay? I'm going to read the whole thing so you guys get the whole breadth of it. It's not that long, okay? Okay, this is Pliny writing. Okay, you told me you had been angry with the freedmen of yours. And now he's come to see me. He threw himself at my feet and clung onto me, though I were you. So here he is. He's, the slave has come to him, Pliny the Younger, and is wanting some help with his master. We don't know. It's just like with Onesimus, we don't know what this uh, freedman slave here, is, what his scenario is. But he's obviously in trouble, and he's in trouble with his master. And Pliny the Younger is writing to deal with it. He wept a lot and asked for a lot, though he kept quiet about a lot too. To sum it up, he made me believe that he was genuinely sorry. I think he is a changed character because he really does feel that he did wrong. Yes, I know you are angry. I know, too, that you have right to be angry. But mercy ends earns most praise when anger is fully justified. Once you love this fellow, and I hope you will love him again, for the moment it is enough that you let yourself be placated. You can always be angry again if he deserves it. And you'll have all the, same, all the more reason if you've been placated now. He's young. He's in tears. And you have a kind heart. Make all of that count. Don't torture him. And don't torture yourself eager. Anger is always torture for a soft heart like yours. I'm afraid it will look as though I'm putting pressure on you. Not simply making a request. If I join my prayers to his. But I am going to do it anyway. And all the more fully and thoroughly because I am giving him a sharp and severe talking to And I warned him clearly that I won't make such a request again. This was because he needed a good fright. And I said it to him rather to you because it is just possible that I shall make another request and receive it too. 
always supposing it is an appropriate thing for me to ask and for you to grant yours sincerely, Pliny the Younger, Senator. And so here's a letter, very, very similar to Paul's. Very, very different though, isn't it? And here's the, the plea, is uh, the, the, the appeal is Pliny the Younger saying, here's this slave, and let me just tell you, I've made him feel it. I really gave him a talking to. And though I really don't want to, but I will throw my weight around. I'm a senator. And I will let you know what needs to happen. But here's the thing. What's different about these two letters is striking is what's being asked. Pliny the Younger asking this slave owner to receive this slave back in the same status, the same place where he was before. Um, N.T. Wright put it this way. Paul is, is um, uh, excuse me. No, he's basically asking him to receive him back in the same, I'll get that later. I, uh, receive him back in the same place, in the same position where he was received before. And what, he's, what Paul is asking Philemon is to totally change and totally rethink the whole structure of how everything is set up. A whole new story. And it's a remarkable difference. And so what's extremely unique and even revolutionary is the full nature and grounds of his request. What he's doing is he's presenting and working out a whole new story, a worldview for, for, uh, for, excuse me, for Philemon. So as N.T. Wright puts, puts it, Paul is teaching Philemon and indeed Onesimus to think within the biblical narrative to see themselves as actors within the ongoing scriptural drama to allow their erstwhile pagan thought forms to be transformed by a biblically-based renewal of the mind. In other words, you... Philemon had the right to get payback. He had the right to, to, to take him back as a slave and make him pay, to torture him, do whatever he wanted. And Paul instead, instead of using his power and his position, appeals to him in love, appeals to him in the gospel, appeals to him in Christ to not receive him as a slave, but we'll get this in a minute, but as a brother. And so it's a totally different Approach, even though they're very, very similar. And so, what we see with Pliny the Younger and this slave owner, they, we see the, the worldview, we see the story of the Roman Empire. The order of things. Some people are more important than other people. If somebody does wrong to you, you should get them back. And if you don't, you should get credit for not giving them back their due. And this whole story plays out the way it should in Pliny the Younger's letter, in the context and in the worldview that was common of the day. But Paul tr- challenges that and says, I want you to do things differently now. I want you to think about the world differently than you did. And so, what he's getting down to is gospel community is living out life together in the ongoing drama of Scripture. The heart of gospel community says we're not going to operate, we're not going to function as people do normally. We are going to function 
and operate and relate to one another in the gospel. That is going to be the story we operate in. And so what is that story? Well, Paul puts it this way in Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to the world like Pliny the Younger and these guys, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Step into a new story. And so what is this story? We talk, we talk about it a lot here. It's the gospel story. That God created human beings to share deep relationship with Him. To have community and fellowship with Him. To be in that inner ring with Him. However, we chose to rebel against Him and turn away from Him. And we walked away in rebellion against the God that created us. And we walked away from relationship. We fell away from that. But God, in His mercy... Starting with Abraham, going through the Old Testament, and and culminating in the person of Jesus Christ. God set about a plan to restore that relationship with him. And also to create a new people for himself that would live with him forever. And that one day he's going to consummate that. And that one day we are going to live with God in intimate uh, relationship. And we're going to live with each other together forever. That's the story. And here's the thing, I've said this before. If that's the story, that's the end of the story, maybe we should start living that way now. We should start practicing what it looks like to live in community, in gospel community together, because that's our destiny forever. That's the goal. That is the end. Gospel community is living out life together in ongoing drama of Scripture. So the gospel isn't just God giving us blessings, it's him giving himself. And we get to share him together as a new community, a new people, a new fellowship, a new citizenship. And so Paul is asking Philemon to receive Onesimus in a totally different way. Because it's a new story. It's a new new reality. And that new reality... It goes deeper because it's not just that we step into a new story. We step into a new family. We step into new family. And that's where he's talking about here. So back in, if you go back to Pliny's letter, he appeals that this freeman would be forgiven and received back, like I've already said this, but to his original position. N.T. Wright writing about this, actually in his massive volume on the resurrection, says this, um, the freedman himself, tearful and apparently penitent, is now further frightened by Pliny's warnings and is, we may suppose, deeply grateful to them both. He is determined, at least until further notice or provocation, to know his place and to play the part of a well-behaved social inferior. So Pliny's saying, receive him, don't murder him, don't, you know, don't torture him, but receive him in the same place that he was before. And this, this, this freedman slave is heading back, fully willing to take his place as a social inferior. What a unique, uh, what, a, what a brilliant insight that N.T. Wright has in that. Because what Paul does is so radically different 
He says, don't just forgive him. Don't just be nice to him and, and off, bring him back in as a slave. But rather in verses 15 and 17, he says, he says that you might have him back. Put this up. That you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. Here's the story working out and the reality that this story means that in Christ Jesus, we're not just buddies that go to church together. We're not just acquaintances at church. We come and we are now a part of a new family. We go to church. We don't just go to hang out with friends. We go to be with family. Paul's challenging Philemon to lay down his pride, his status, and even reputation to no longer consider Onesimus a slave, but rather an equal, a brother. Radically different approach here in these letters. Now, let me just stop. There's a little side note here. There's been a lot of criticism about this letter because some would say, well, talk about slavery here. Why wouldn't Paul just go out and say it? Slavery's wrong. It is wrong. It is evil to own another human being. Now, I believe Paul believed that. Why wouldn't he say it here? Why doesn't he deal with that? Okay, I think in one reason here, this isn't, these aren't political letters. Okay, he's not dealing. Now, I think, it's right for hum- I think it's right for people to say it is wrong. Slavery was wrong. It's always wrong. It'll always be wrong. But there, I think there's even more deeper here going, okay, going on here. Okay? So I think what Paul's doing here is a, is a greater challenge than just a call for a, abolition. Here's the thing. What we've seen in our country, when an abolition actually occurred, guess what? The situation for blacks in America did not really improve that much. As a matter of fact, in some senses, it might have gotten worse in terms of their economic status and so on. Not that slavery was ever okay. But, so you went from abolition to Jim Crow laws to mass incarceration and go down, the work, go down the list. And what Paul is doing here is saying, listen, we can, we can, we can have laws. And I think he would have supported abolition. But there's something deeper here. He's saying that until people know the gospel and know that every human being... Black, white, green, or purple is my brother. And you can't own a brother. Until we get to those heart issues, the problems will remain. It'll just find a new way. It'll find a new form. It'll find a new color. It exists because of our need of heart change in the gospel. And so... At the heart and the climax of this story, moving on, is that you and me are invited in with God. So we are no longer slaves. We are no longer enemies. We are now given the rights to be sons of God. So the premise that, that Paul places upon Philemon here, and can, the story and the worldview and, and the, 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 the grounding of his appeal here is in what Christ has done for him. Is that Christ died for us so that we are no longer enemies of God. 
And that we are no longer slaves, but actually invited in to be his sons and daughters. And if God would invite us in, he's the slave owner. He's the one that owed us a torture and a good beating or whatever. He, we, he, he owed us judgment and wrath. And yet, we are received, not as slaves, but as, as his children, as his brothers. And that is the appeal being made here. And so how much more if we're being received? So he's basically saying, Philemon, you have been received in the gospel. You have been received as a son. Why wouldn't you receive Onesimus as a brother? And so he's talking about heart change in the gospel. And Paul appeals in Romans 8.15, says, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by, which, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Because of this, we are now on the inside. We fit in. We belong. It's our place. How much more is it our place when it's our Father's place? And so, because of we are on the inside, we are, the call is, like it is to Philemon, to invite others in. This is what the New Testament talks about as our ministry, a ministry of reconciliation, that we would be people that go out and invite others in to the family. And that we invite them in, and then we bring them in on the inside. And so we can allow people in to the inner ring. And so what this means is it radically changes the world's view the world's story of community. So, for example, we're not a book club. In other words, it's not centered on doctrine or curriculum or knowledge. Okay? No, it's not an intellectual club at all. Okay? It's not a social club. In other words, it's not centered on our connections and relationships with other people or our ability to do those things. It's not a counseling group. In other words, it's not centered on our, our therapy needs or our addictions. It's not a social service group. It's not centered on our good deeds and helping other people. It's not a neighborhood association centered on um, their neighborhood or geography or HOA or whatever it is. It's not an affinity group centered on our stage of life or present preferences. It's not an event or a meeting centered on a convenient time slot or your place in a company. It's not a political group group centered on politics all these ways of relating in the world these communities okay are dependent upon things that do not last they're either dependent on your performance the luck of the draw your abilities to be likable and to, to win friends and influence people your ability to scheme and plot and plan in order to be on that inner circle 
That is our world. That, you know, it's either we're, we're fighting, we're clawing, we're trying to stay in, get in or stay in that inner ring. And the gospel says no more. Listen, Jesus, he's the one. He fought, he schemed, he planned, he performed, and then he ultimately suffered and died so that we can be in forever. That is the good news of the gospel. And and in that, now, we have a new obligation and a privilege. And there is an obligation here because what he's asking uh, Philemon to do is not easy. And it's not easy to step into community. He's he's, he's inviting him into fellowship, which would drive our our interactions now. We are now family, and that makes a huge difference. So, for example, he appeals to love. Verse 9, for love's sake. And so it's not just to, to bear with and kind of be like, ah, they're here, so I guess we'll deal with them. You know, it's like when family visit from out of town. Sometimes you're like, ugh. You're trying to think of what I need to do to survive that time period. As I say, three days. It's like the time for fish to spoil and family. What the fish and family have in common. Anyway, um, forgiveness. He calls uh, Philemon to credit to his account, reminds him that he's owed to him. And what he's basically getting down to the, the core of it is, is that to have community, we got to be forgiving one another. We, owe, we all owe each other something. It's about forgiveness and grace. Okay? So, and here's the thing, too. It's a presupposition. We are going to hurt. We're going to offend. We're going to sin against each other. Okay? It's also, there's a generosity and support for one another. Paul is calling Philemon to receive Odysseus as a brother. Okay? Now, so, and it's likely that because he was a slave, even though maybe he was freed previously, he's likely very poor. And then he's also asking Philemon, at probably some level, to no longer get financial benefit from him. So there's a, there's a generosity and a sacrifice that needs to exist when we come together in community. It, and it has a cost. And that cost it ends up being sacrifice. Okay, and so Paul is calling Philemon to the difficulty of living in real community with others. It's really hard. It can be painful. It can be costly. Do, you have, do we have Colossians verse? But no, do you, okay, look at Colossians. With me. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So there's Paul summarizing part of this community, that we would come together. And it it is a sacrifice. It's an obligation, but it's a privilege. There's great joy that comes together when we begin to live in gospel community. But here's the thing, guys. What if, what if we actually started living this way? What if we actually started to live out gospel community together? We began to rally around Jesus as the center point of that community what would happen? Let me, let me just tell you. I think it would become amazingly infectious. People would be like, I want that. I want to be a part of that. Now, Amanda reminded me of an illustration a friend of, us, friend of ours showed us recently. 
And it's, um, it was as they were leading up to the production of the greatest, uh, what's it called? Greatest Showman, the movie that came out, the musical movie. And um, they needed to get all the cast together with all the producers. It took them eight months to do it. And before they were going to do this, this is like a live run-through, a gr- green tight take or something like that. Uh, so uh, they're going to run through the whole thing so the producers can say, okay, yeah, we're ready to go. And so the problem was, though, Hugh Jackman, the star, had just had uh, a, a cancerous thing removed from his nose. And he was ordered by the doctor not to sing. And so the producer says, don't tell anybody. Because <laughs> nobody's going to come to New York not hear you sing, dude. So don't tell anybody. And so they gather everybody there. And the plan was that Hugh Jackman wasn't going to sing. He would act out his parts. And they would have a stand-in who would sing his parts during this, you know, this rehearsal. And um, let me leave it there. Watch, watch what happens. Go ahead, cue them. supposed to be singing.
Well, Hugh Jackman had to go to the surgeon right away because he just tore out 80 stitches. You didn't know it, but you might have saw him do this a couple of times. Here, up to that point, the rehearsal was struggling, and everybody was looking at this stand-in, and it just, just wasn't working. And that's what we do. We look at these stand-ins, and, 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 and until in that rehearsal, the, the, the real star began to, to sing, and they began to sing his song. Then all of a sudden, everybody with just reckless abandon jumps in. It was just an amazing picture what it looks like when we look to Jesus and what he has done and who he is. We sing his song together, and we surround him in community. Let me tell you what. It is a powerful force in this world. And just like Hugh, maybe worse, actually a lot worse, he didn't just lose some stitches. Jesus lost his life to pay to sing that song for us, that we can be a part of it. And I don't know if you noticed up to that point, I mean, you didn't kind of see him, but you didn't, certainly didn't hear him, because they're all just kind of standing there awkwardly, singing their parts, and they're all different. And if you know the story of the movie, it's great, because they're a bunch of circus freaks. There's a a bearded lady, there's a tattooed guy, and there's all these, I mean, they're weird, and they're talented, they're awful, they're great, and they're all this crazy mix of people. And you see it here, and in the, the gospel, Jesus brings us together, that we can sing our song with him. That is what Paul is calling Philemon to, to sing the song of Jesus, that we might have a new story, a new family, and in that we might love, forgive, sacrifice, and generously support one another. So the the question is, are, are you like Onesimus? Are you on the run? Are you outside? Are you a slave running? Afraid. Here's the gospel. It says, come on home. Sing with us. Let go of all the pretense, all the pretending, all the games. Because you're already in because of what Jesus has done. That is what it is. And for those of us who know we're Anisimus and we've stepped in, we need to be like Philemon. We need the challenge to receive other people like brothers and sisters. The challenge is, is that we wouldn't just hang out in our little club, our little holy clique, but that we would do what Jesus did. Instead of owning and being, and, 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 uh, being selfish with his position as a son of God with the Father forever, instead risked everything to invite us in. That is the call of gospel community. That's what we are called to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much.